Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. In November 2016, Blackfeet tribal member and writer Bill Wetzel convened Protecting the Sacred, a panel on indigenous environmental issues at Revolutionary Grounds Books and Coffee. The panel was a discussion on indigenous environmental issues. It focused primarily on water and developments at Standing Rock regarding the Dakota Access Pipeline. The panel includes moderator John Bird of the Blackfeet, indigenous scholar and writer Tom Holm of the Cherokee, the Native Nations Institute's Veronica Hirsch of the Chiricahua Apache, and clean air quality specialist and poet Ruben Kukbach of the Tohono O'odham. We'll begin part two of this two-part series with Bill Wetzel's introductions, followed by each of the panelists. Thank you everybody for coming. Thank you to Revolutionary Grounds for opening up specifically for us for this night. This panel is called Protecting the Sacred, a panel on indigenous environmental issues. My name is Bill Wetzel. I'm a member of the Blackfeet tribe and I am a local writer. Uh, some of you may know me from, uh, I, I run the uh, Shukshan Indigenous Reading Series and the Good Oak Bar Reading Series in town. Thank you, everybody. I'd like to introduce our moderator and panelists. You already met John Bird. John Bird is um, Scopi Picani, which means he's a Blackfeet from Montana. He has a Master's of Education in Mental Health Counseling and has studied extensively with tribal elders. He has been doing community and organizational development work for the past 30 years with Indian tribes and organizations, state and federal government projects, nonprofit agencies and major Fortune 500 corporations, and we will not hold the last one against him. <laughs> Veronica Hirsch is Cherokee Apache. She serves as a digital resources coordinator at the Native Nations Institute within the Udall Center for Studies and Public Policy at the University of Arizona. Her work is focused on rebuilding Native Nations, distance learning courses, and the ongoing development of the multimedia iGov.database.com. Veronica possesses a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of California, Davis, in Environmental and Resource Sciences, a Master of Arts degree in American Indian Studies from the University of Arizona, and a Professional Science Master's degree in Natural Resources and Environmental Science from the University of Idaho. She's smart. So. <laughs> <laughs> really Ruben Tukbach is a Tahana Adam Nation member who has been recently published in Indigenous Stewards, a publication of the Southwest Health Sciences Center College of Pharmacy. Ruben is part of the Red Ink Reading Crew and is currently working on his first book. He is a clean air quality specialist for the Tahana Adam Nation. Tom Holm is an enrolled member of the Cherokee Nation from Oklahoma. He has been involved in American Indian education and Native Veterans Affairs for over 40 years. He was a member of the Cherokee Nation Sequoia Commission. Holm served with Bravo Company 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines, 3rd Marine Division in Vietnam. He holds a PhD from the University of Oklahoma and was a professor of American Indian Studies and Political Science at the University of Arizona from 1980 to 2009. He's the author of the nonfiction book Strong Hearts, Wounded Souls, which was a finalist for the Victor Turner Prize and The Great Confusion in Indian Affairs, as well as the novels The Osage Rose and Anadarko. So the best models are, again, I'm not saying that they are completely without merit, but I think we need to acknowledge up front, again, our own limitations as human beings. I think it gets back to what has already been expressed that 
Um, when we approach these conversations, when we have these difficult conversations about, and I'm going to use you know words that sometimes feel uncomfortable, economic development, whatever that looks like, we still have to put it in the context that we are but flawed human beings with our own human frailties, our own agendas, our own preconceived notions, and to somehow pretend that we are not all impacted in some form or fashion by that, uh, by upbringing, by exposure to whatever body of knowledge, whether it's in a formalized institutional setting or through directly working the land, whether you're native or non-native, everything that we do is an approximation. And, but regardless of that fact, there are consequences that we have to deal with, whatever those consequences may be. We hope that they are not so severely negative. They might be. What I think is of concern is that even when we do know that certain consequences are unavoidably negative, that we have some people who are maybe not immediately affected by that, it's not in their backyard, that NIMBY mentality, not in my backyard mentality, who are not immediately upfront affected by that, who still promote an agenda that is knowingly going to cause harm. And so to relate that more immediately at hand to the situation at Standing Rock, many of you may have already known this pipeline was originally expected to be routed north of Bismarck, North Dakota, the capital. Again, the NIMBY mentality, this could cause harm, if there's a break, oh my gosh, all the people of Bismarck and everybody else is going to be screwed. So what happens? It gets rerouted to a half mile outside of what has been considered the current reservation boundary. But as our moderator explained, that area is hotly contested. The 1868 Treaty of Fort Laramie identified at that time what was termed in that treaty language the Great Sioux Nation. However, over time, up until 1889, the Great Sioux Nation was then subdivided on the basis of what, but using this notion of federal authority into six distinct reservation entities, one of which happens to be the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. Those 1889 boundaries, and uh, you know, as they are acknowledged now, that is still in an area of contested land holding because the original 1868 Treaty of Fort Laramie had a specific provision that said for any additional land sessions to be made, which were later made in 1889 and within this area of dispute, that three-fourths of all adult males had to agree to that land session. That never happened. So this is part of the basis, just one component, but part of the basis for this conflict because that never happened. That specific provision of that treaty, that provision never happened. Yet, by 1889, Standing Rock Reservation boundaries, such as they are, were drawn. This pipeline is half a mile, 0.5 miles outside of the boundary, that 1889 boundary, which we know, as we said, is contested. So this is one of many aspects. Throughout this whole process, I had even some Native folks, frankly, and it, was, it felt like a gut punch, who were kind of playing devil's advocate. I don't know, just for fun or if they really were sincere, but said, well, you know, the tribe, there were all these uh, opportunities for public comment. The tribe could have shown up. To which I responded, why should they? Public comment sessions, if you ever attended it, it's a free-for-all. Any nut job can get up and pontificate on nonsense. <laughs> go to one. Join me. I'm going to go to a session, so you can come. We'll go together. We'll pontificate. Um, it's a free-for-all for anybody to get up and, you know, and air their grievance on, on whatever. It can even be off-topic. A public comment session does not acknowledge the, the sovereign, inherent sovereign quality of Native nations, the 567 that are currently termed as federally recognized tribes. 
And so to expect then a native nation, a sovereign entity, to just join in a public comment free-for-all is, is just patently ridiculous. And so Standing Rock Sioux Tribe as an entity chose, for whatever reason, again, probably, I would presume not to uh, subject itself to a free-for-all that would somehow undercut its own sovereign authority and ability to self-govern and to enforce its own treaty provisions, treaties which are the law of the land as stated in the Commerce Clause of the United States Constitution. So for all of our rapidly constitutionally focused folks uh, in your, your document that you so revere, um, to, to expect the tribe then to somehow, you know, to, to fault them. A sovereign entity for not showing up in a public comment session is ridiculous. What is not told is that Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, their own tribal historic preservation officer, their own tribal historic preservation office, the acronym is TIPO, repeatedly made requests for consultation that went completely unanswered, which is ignored entirely. With you happen to, and there's actually circulating, there are draft documents that Energy Transfers um, Company, the company that is behind Dakota Access Pipeline, in their draft documents, some of their draft environmental statements, you look at their maps, it doesn't even show anywhere on the map where Standing Rock Sioux Tribe exists. It's like it's a void. So their own information that they submitted was not just lacking, it was fraudulent. Because how are you not going to include an entity that is clearly there? It doesn't even show up on their maps. So, um, you know, I got off topic. Sorry, I'm going to sit down. But, um, <laughs> but relating this situation, you know, when we're talking about um, the situation at Sandy Rock, when we're talking about situation at Oak Flat, when we're talking about all these things, what we need to bear in mind is that there are all these other mitigating factors from, let's say, a hydrologic perspective, you know, a hard science, scientific perspective. From the legal perspective, unfortunately, very often, legal policy, government policy, and science <laughs> often are, are at odds with each other. People think they're using the same terminology, and, and we just talk past each other continuously. But I think the main thing to bear in mind is, as was our moderator already pointed out, the individuals who are still currently at the various camps, Ochiti Shakawi, who are part of Sacred Stone Camp, and other camps, you know, these are individuals who are choosing to make that self-sacrifice on behalf of all of us, really. I myself have not traveled to Standing Rock Sioux Reservation, to Cannonball, or to any of the camps. I know there are actually some people here tonight who have. Um, and I really would appreciate maybe them sharing some of their stories when we have more of a Q&A. Again, I think as we bear in mind, when we have these conversations, it's really incumbent upon us to then say, to ask ourselves and answer in our own way, now what? And I said this at another session um, that I was part of before. Now what? Now that we have this information, now that we have this venue to talk, what do we do now? Uh, because it's one thing to sit here, as I'm doing, hand-wringing, and it's another thing to act. And I think that's one thing that we have to decide individually, you know, and search within our hearts and be realistic about what we can commit to, about what we can sacrifice. But regardless of whatever that may be and however differently that looks for each one of us, that we act, period. You are listening to Remarks Made in November 2016 at Protecting the Sacred, a panel on indigenous environmental issues on 30 Minutes, 91.3, KXCI Tucson. So one of the things I find really interesting about Standing Rock is that it also involves um, 
fossil fuel development and so the whole argument or whatever you want to call it about about fossil fuels and about their role in climate change and and perhaps the the future of our species has really kind of added a big push to you know to the to the preservation of 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 water and we all know that water and oil don't mix <laughs> what oil gets into water and it, it contaminates water for a long long time one of the things I'm really proud about the tribe that Bill and I are from the Blackfeet tribe we stood up to the fracking companies when they came they they know that there's large pools of natural gas and things right where the Rocky Mountains meet the prairies right where we live um, beautiful land and pristine water and and the people that lived there made it such a hostile environment that the, the fracking companies all pulled up and, and left. The Blackfeet tribe has also been in, a, in, in litigation trying to keep the Badger 2 Medicine area a, a place that's really sacred to us. It's in our origin stories. That's where we, that's where we originated. And so, you know, she was talking about how do you determine if a place is sacred? You know, they want you to take take us take 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 us to a place and tell us how this is sacred when, you know, it's like a it's like a whole area that 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 has that has that connotation. But for us, and there there's a really good documentary that's coming out about that. It's going to be coming out, I think, in the spring about the Badger Two Medicine. But so far, we've been able to successfully hold them off you know and and you know keep that area from being developed so th that's one thing I, I was wondering if maybe Tom or or uh, Ruben had anything to add to that conversation about the water and about climate change about fossil fuel development um, just real quick um, so I did a paper on um, the economic effects of, of oil spills <coughs> and the BP oil spill and the Exxon oil spill. And one of the things I found out was what petroleum is actually in. It's almost in everything. Cars made up maybe like a 65% petroleum. It's in medicine, it's in our clothes, it's in foods, it's in our clothes. Like it's in every facet of, of what we use there. Computers, all plastics are basically petroleum. And, and one of the things that I found out was that if we were to revert back and just completely cut it out of our life, we kind of fall back into this dark age kind of thing, which I, I could argue with. But, but the thing is that we use it on a daily basis. And the, the, where your, your voting dollars go matter. Mm -hmm. where, what, you, what you choose to do with, with your stuff uh, matter, you know, and, and if if we if we continue to support these things then those things are going to continue to exist those pipelines and those those things in the world i mean it's not just here in america it's all over the world where you're having these huge um oil spills and there was an article that was um came out of the chicago tribune yesterday and it was talking about the santa barbara the the pipeline leak out there and it was uh, something like 130,000 gallons uh, leaked into the into the coastline out there, and 
energy transfer is talking about how pipelines are one of the safest transporting <laughs> mechanisms of crude oil in in the world but yet in the last in the last five years there's been over something like close to a hundred thousand incidences here in America here in America so you have all these just over something like like eight hundred and forty five thousand gallons of crude oil leaked onto soil water what have you here in America just in America alone and so so what they're proposing with the pipeline yes yeah, it's a huge danger but that danger is going to continue to exist if we continue to support that in however way you do it. And, and it's hard because I like my cell phone. I like my vehicle, you know, and, and those things are something that we we really have to start thinking about moving forward in terms of how do we shift energy sources. That's basically it. And that's what they're fighting for. If we're completely solar, we're completely wind here in America, we wouldn't be worried about a pipeline. So just in a sign of hope, so about three or four years ago, I had a solar system put on my house here in Tucson. It was the best thing I ever did. So I'm, I, I feel like I'm doing my part, but I'll go ahead and turn it over to Tom. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Did <laughs> I, I could keep talking. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I, I guess it, I wanted to say that, that uh, there's uh, quite a few things that I regret in my life, but one of the things I regret was was um, I was at uh, I'd gotten out of the Marine Corps in 1970 and went back to school at the University of Oklahoma. Just uh, our first child, my wife and I, first child was born in 1973, and uh, just a little bit before the wounded knee uh, uh, was going on, and I and I wanted to go up really bad, and a whole bunch of my friends were up there, and there were. Uh, a lot of Vietnam veterans at uh, Wounded Knee. Uh, uh, Carter Camp, his Ponca guy that I knew, and from Blackfeet Reservation, Woody Kipp was up there. And uh, I, I've always regretted that, and I heard a lot of uh, stories from some of my friends who tried to get up there and, and uh, uh, to to join join with them. And uh, and I uh, I was I was ready to go. And then my wife reminded me that, you know, five years before, uh, I'd been shot at a lot, <laughs> and so, and I was hearing from guys that were up there, they were getting, they were getting shot at, uh, you know, I had to build bunkers at Wounded Knee and everything else. So, uh, there's some guys that are going to go up there, some veterans that are going to go up and, and uh, lend some support up there, and I have to really admire them, I, and, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, go up there and, and uh, make something of it. I, I think that the current political climate, I taught political science for quite a while, and uh, uh, the current political climate is, is uh, truly frightening. And if, any, if anything, uh, you know, I would urge everybody and, and to... Uh, to become more involved, especially on a local level. Uh, that's, that seems to have uh, uh, really made a difference for the last, uh, I don't know, several years uh, in, in this election. And we all know right now, and I meant it's no joke, this, uh, this whole election, uh, one of the pillars of this was racism. Mm. 
and that is something that we just have to keep combating and keep fighting and keeping with it somehow or another that uh, I remember people saying well Obama got elected you know we can forget about racism now well that was just horse (laughs) still with us we still got to work. We still got to look out for it. We still got to work against it. And that kind of thing, this this complete reversal, it seems like in in the political climate, racism and back, uh, climate change denial is back. They wants to support coal. You know, good God, <laughs> they dug it out. Where I where I come from in northeastern Oklahoma, we used to we used to swim in what were called the coal pits. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it crazy as hell. But that's where I learned to swim was in the coal pits, and and the coal pits were were these you know they just dug it out, and they dug coal and co- dug coal and dug coal until you know it just filled up with water, so you can go in there and you can. Uh, you know, swim with the snapping turtles, silagookie, and the uh, and the cotton mouths. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, so uh, it was uh, it 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 left a blight. I mean, a complete blight on on the place that we lived and where we grew up. And now Oklahoma's, uh, you know, getting. I guess uh, we never heard of an earthquake when I grew up in Oklahoma. Now I guess there's about in the last year there's about 600 of them that's gone on, getting bigger too. Getting bigger every time, and that's because of the fracking. And that was because the oil industry and the the gas industry uh, has more or less taken over the government there, run by the Republicans. And so, you know, uh, they're they're spreading all of these. You know, well, you know, well that's a that's the consequences of, of progress, I guess. You know, uh, we got to slow it. We got to balance it out. We got to do something. Yes. And the example that I just gave about the Blackfeet people coming together and keeping development out of the Badger Two Medicine area, and even keeping large-scale fracking from happening on the Blackfeet Reservation in Montana, you know, that was a that was a major victory. People stopped that just mm-hmm. out of their sheer will, but also out of partnering with other, you know, ranchers in the area that didn't want to see the water become contaminated and, and environmental groups in Missoula and places like that that joined in with them. And so they building these coalitions and that's also happening at at, at Standing Rock, and one of the things that I'd like to point out, and to me, it's like a, it's like a, you know, we 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 all we all know and we sense the rise in hate, you know. But on the other side of the, on the other side of the equation, there's also the rise of something to counter it, and you know, Standing Rock is like a, to me, is like a spark of that. You know, I, I don't know if any of you saw the the um the the video that jane fonda did shortly after she came back from standing rock and she was talking about the love there at the camp and how you know how and and that it really is a spiritual movement and that spiritual movement means that you know people are 
people are living by spiritual values and when we talk about the spiritual values of the indigenous people it always goes back to love it always goes back to kindness it always goes back to respect and how we treat each other and if we can do that in this process of countering hate we're going to make progress if we can if we can do that from that from that from that spiritual place you know that's going to so that's how i'm seeing it in my head it's like you know, I, I was really alarmed by the, you know, by, by what happened here and the rise of hate and, 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 and neo-fascism here in the United States, but there's also something that's rising to counter it. Um, and so that always gives me a great deal of hope because I see that happen over and over and over again. And I truly believe that in the end that love will win out over hate, you know, and so I have faith in that. I. Um, I, I, I just, I, I have a lot of faith in that. So I'll, I don't know if there, yep. Yeah, two things. So um, regarding, you know, stopping something because it, it just proves too expensive. So many of you might already know this. Um, if the Dakota Access Pipeline is not running oil through it uh, by the beginning of 2017, by January 1st, 2017, it's, it's a moot issue because the individuals who would be uh, contributing their oil to be transported through Dakota Access Pipeline signed a contract, but this contract was negotiated back in 2014 when oil prices were much higher than they are now. So Energy Transfer Partners has is desperately trying to preserve that negotiated price. What we need to bear in mind when we talk about you know voting with our dollars or, or thinking about uh, making these difficult choices, um, as Ruben also pointed out, you know looking at things that we might have to sacrifice, uh, compromises that we might have to make, and those are going to be different for, for different people. Um, and I think to to imply that somebody should or shouldn't do something, it really kind of diverts attention from the real issue. The real issue is that any type of extractive technology, any type of environmental degradation it causes and any type of associated environmental costs, those are considered as economic externalities. They are considered as not really even being part of the overall equation when you're looking at developing, doing any type of, for instance, fossil fuel development. And a lot of these externalities are then borne by us, the citizenry, borne by us, the taxpayer, where we then have a federal entity that has to go in and do cleanup. It is that externality, that environmental cost is not necessarily absorbed by the company, although more recently there have been efforts to do so. But even then, that value is, is far under the actual market value to pay for environmental remediation or decontamination and decommissioning. The reality is that we have a power structure that provides a type of corporate welfare. And I know I'm probably preaching to the choir right now and all types of subsidies. If we actually required these extractive industries to absorb all those costs at the going market rate for environmental contamination cleanup, remediation, decontamination, decommissioning, the cost would be so prohibitive that it would compel us then to look at these other technologies of wind and solar, for instance, or biofuel development, although that can also be problematic, I will tell you that. As we're thinking about how we can potentially not just vote at the polls, but vote with our dollars, I'm not trying to somehow you know, spread your attention to a whole bunch of issues and somehow get lost in, in the muddle, but just to share with you again, 
and you're looking at these corporations that are invested in extractive industries or privatized prisons or whatever else, whatever speaks to your heart, as Mr. Bird has said, you know, really believing that love wins out overall. Prayerfully consider what your next steps are going to be. None of us can sit up here and, and try to preach at you or guilt you into something. Um, I don't think any of us here is about, you know, trying to uh, indoctrinate a certain agenda, but just to rather facilitate conversation, information sharing, and to trust that all of us as thinking human beings, that we will make a decision that is well-informed, that we are realistic about what we can commit to, about the sacrifices that we can make, and that we will do so, and we'll do so in a spirit of love. All right, thank you. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to Remarks Made in November 2016 at Protecting the Sacred, a panel on indigenous environmental issues. Speakers included panel convener Bill Wetzel, moderator John Bird of the Blackfeet, indigenous scholar and writer Tom Holm of the Cherokee, the Native Nations Institute's Veronica Hirsch of the Chiricahua Apache, and clean air quality specialist and poet Ruben Kukbach of the Tohono O'odham. This has been part two of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson.